Good evening, saints and friends. Blessings to you. It's always good to have you with us, those who are in the sanctuary as well as those who are online. Let us bow our head and let us pray. But before we do that, remember to uh, like, comment, and share so that other people can come in and uh, share with this Bible study with us. All right, let's uh, bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you. God, we appreciate you for all that you are and all that you mean. Thanking you for your goodness, your mercy, and your kindness toward us. God, we ask that you would illuminate this uh, session, that you would strengthen us and bless us and give us wisdom and clarity as we study your word together. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we were doing for Sunday was Palm Sunday. So uh, normally when Palm Sunday comes around, I reference it a little, but this past Sunday, I felt really impressed to do something more with it, and we were able to uh, hand out palms uh, or replica palms to people, and I prayed over them, and it ended up being a uh, powerful service, and so uh, what I want to do is kind of backtrack a little and show us how we got here. So, The first uh, series, the first message in the series, I'm, I'm in the series called Brokenness. So we, we t- first we uh, were in a series about sheep and we went through that and I felt like there was enough of that. And then I just came to this idea of brokenness. And so we talked about broken beyond repair and we were in Matthew and the broken beyond repair is just the mindset that brokenness is not all bad that if we're broken in the right places by God, that God could actually get something out of it. But then he could also take us beyond repair. So in other words, we were broken in one way, but we were rebuilt back another way. But in uh, coming to that understanding and coming through Palm Sunday, I, I switched to this idea, breaking the unbreakable and going back into uh, Matthew as well, staying with that that theme of Matthew. And what I was thinking about from the standpoint of our brokenness can be something that's powerful and beneficial to us. But the problem with our brokenness is oftentimes there are things around us that seemingly need to be broken more than we do. But when God begins to deal with us, he breaks us first. And we always don't understand why he chooses to do that until we see his end game, because what he's trying to teach us is that first he has to break us. And if he does that properly and we allow it and we grow in it, then we realize that his whole goal is to break the unbreakable through us. In other words, to be a conduit that the things that come against us now become broken through us. In other words, The idea is almost to become breakers with God for other people. But for in order for that to happen, we have to be broken ourselves. And one of the first things we have to be broken to, which is sometimes counterintuitive to what we have been taught as Christians. But one of the first things we have to be broken to is our willpower. A lot of times we're taught that if you read the Bible, if you pray, then any obstacle uh, that comes against you, you can overcome it almost on your own. 
but there usually comes something in our life that we realize, I cannot break this. I don't care how much time I've prayed, read the Bible, come to church. There's something about me that's weak to this specific thing. And that's when we allow God's brokenness to help us because we're saying, God, I can't do this on my own. Now, when I grew up in church, a lot of times there was a lot of false perfection projection that I call it, where you were, you, it seemed like the people who led you had arrived at a level of perfection and that, that over time you could get there if you just worked hard enough. Well, at some point in my Christianity, I realized I'm working hard too, but I'm not getting the results that they are getting. Well, come to find out they weren't being as transparent. They weren't being as honest that they still had some of those issues as well. Another thing I learned early on that avoidance is not deliverance. A lot of our, the former Christians, they taught us things and the truth of the matter is they never really got delivered from it. They just avoided it. So they didn't go anywhere, didn't go to movies, didn't go here, didn't go there. Wouldn't go to a restaurant that served alcohol, this, that, and the other. Well, the question is, if you can't go to those places, you're not really delivered. You're just avoiding. So if you shut the world down and you stay in church for hours and always having a revival, the reason why you look like you're perfect is because you're disassociating yourself from the world. But when we grew up and we realized we have to go out and live in the world, we have to be work there, we, we have to deal with it. We can't all send our kids to Christian school. Everybody can't go to Christian school. Somebody's got to be in a public school setting. Someone has to work in a factory. Someone has to do that. And then we start realizing some of the inadequacies of what we are being taught and reality. Now, I'm not here to denigrate uh, those because sometimes they did what they knew, especially the black church, because in the black church context, a lot of them didn't have jobs anyway. They weren't, they weren't allowed the opportunities. They were shut out of a lot of things. So they just turned a lot of their attention to the church. Well, after the civil rights movement where we could go and do more things, then we start figuring out, hey, we're tempted, we're triggered. What do we do with that? And the goal is understand if we allow God to break us, then he will break things through us. And the goal is that we help others on their journey because there's going to be other people who are going to come to that same journey, that, that same impasse and realize I, I'm at a fork in the road. I can't do this. In other words, yeah, I hear you talking about it's best uh, to keep sex in the context of a marriage, but I can't do that. I'm struggling every time. I get in a relationship before long, I end up sexual, and I don't really want that. I'm stuck. And that's when we start saying, oh, okay, we actually need help. We need God to help us. And then those of us who have been broken in those kind of ways, we can be honest and say, guess what? I haven't been perfect in that area myself. I struggled there, but here's the tools I can help you to get over the hump. Number one, if you come to me with a confession of some type of failure, I'm not going to blab it all over the church. I'm not going to make you feel bad. First of all, we're going to try to walk through this together. Right. We're going to try to figure out how did, how, how did you get here? What, what, what triggers you? What are the things that are, are going on? How can I share with you? So 
we begin to help people break the unbreakable by using the power of Christ, but also by using our own personal brokenness. So once again, I don't know how perfect churches do it. So since I don't pastor a perfect church, I can only do it the way I understand doing it. And that's, let's just, let's do life together, be as honest as we can, as real as we can, and try to move forward and kick as much devil butt as we can along the way. So with that understanding of brokenness, we moved into uh, a shift on Palm Sunday. So let's let's go back with uh, some of the definitions of broken, having been fractured or damaged and no longer in one piece or in working order. If you think about our souls, sometimes certain settings of our life have been actually fractured or damaged by things we've gone through through, through, through when we were unsaved, even while we were saved, uh, to separate or cause to separate into pieces as a result of a blow, shock, or strain. Sometimes your heart feels like it's in a million pieces after bad relationships or uh, family relationships that have gone wrong. You turn yourself to Christ and people turn their back on you uh, or people talk about you. A lot of those things can shatter you but with God, they actually shatter you in the right ways. And what that does for us, it, it minimizes our own importance. It makes us realize that me and God is everything. Me without God is nothing. And when you do get successes in life, sometimes you think it's me and me and a little bit of God. But if you get broken properly, you'll realize, I don't care what I do that is positive. All the glory goes to God because I know there's another side to me. Without God's help, I don't know where I would be. And so we help, we help lead people in that direction. All right, let's move to this. So breaking, we switched it from broken to breaking or process, smashing shattering, bursting, fragmenting, crushing, snapping, rupturing, separating, severing, breaking into bits and pieces. We'll come back to that later if we have time. So starting at Matthew 21 and 1, uh, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. Verse three, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. So uh, whenever I, I have looked at this passage of scripture, uh, one of the first things I, I've thought of was the fact that uh, as we're going to get to that people cry Hosanna to God. And, but just within the next chapter, they're saying crucify him. And so I've always thought about the duality of us as humans, how one minute we could be God-focused, the next minute we could be sin-focused. But the Lord told me not to go in that direction this time, but to look at some of the other things that are happening there as far as the supernatural. So when, when you're Hosanna one minute and crucify him the next, you're not really broken. So God was telling me, since I've already taught the, them about brokenness, point to something different in the passage. So I begin to look at other things in the passage. In other words, I had to read it 
with fresh eyes, not just read it how I've always read it. Now, I'll, I'll throw this out there. When you're doing Bible study, the, the hard thing about Bible study is when you read something, you normally read it how you've always read it. You normally see it how you've always seen it. But sometimes the beauty of Bible study is to slow down and look for what you haven't seen. Pay attention to uh, what you've kind of just glossed over. So when I looked at it, one of the key things that jumps out to me is this donkey that was there that the scripture says was tied up. And there's nothing really deep and revelationary about that except for the fact that, you know, that's what they did. You know, we have garages and driveways to park our cars for their animals. They had stables and places to tie them up. So that's why I normally would just rush past that. But at some point, I saw the beauty of it, the fact that the donkey was tied in a previous time for a existing need now. And what that did for me is to understand that before we come to God, we can be tied up in all kinds of things, but that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't the plan of God ultimately for us, because what God will do is he will allow us to be tied, but then use us right when the time is necessary. So let me say this to those of you who are, uh, leading young children or have young adult uh, children that seem to be hard to get them to catch the revelation or things you're trying to teach them, sometimes it's not computing because they're just not mature enough yet, but it's getting in their spirit. And they many times what will happen, they will get themselves in situations where they're tied up. But when the master has need of them, I don't care what has tied them up, what is holding them back previously has to let go. It has to drop. And so the beauty of this story is the donkey was tied up by a different owner, but because of the power of the master, he came and changed ownership and unties it. And then says, if anybody says anything to you, say the master has need of it. So spiritually speaking, the question we asked ourselves is, is it possible all the stuff I was tied to previously, now that I'm broken in the right way, is it possible that the master can use all of that in my new journey? Is it possible that the addictions, the issues, the anger, whatever it, it is, not just the bad stuff, I usually throw out the bad stuff, but even some of the good stuff, some of the successes like the college, the whatever, it's a possibility that all of that was used for this moment in time now. So that's why we talk about the power of the future over the power of the past. Because in the past, it led me to do this. But with my present and my future, my past may not have been wasted at all. Maybe my previous issues and troubles and mess ups, it might help another generation. My setback could have been my setup. My temptation and my tests could lead to my testimony. My mess could be a part of my message. And so when you understand that, 
you start seeing things with a fresh set of lens and you actually start looking back over your life and you start realizing, wow, God was there then. God was with me then. I didn't think he was because I was doing this, that, and the other. But now I'm here. I understand that the master has need of me, all of me. So I don't have to hide who I used to be, nor do I have to hide what I sometimes am tempted to be again. I can be honest about who I am because who I am is who I was because who I am is now who I'm going to be. So in other words, if you just stick with me long enough with me and God, I'm going to get somewhere in God through the brokenness that I have and God breaking the unbreakable around me. All right. So let's, let's see if we can dig a little deeper. Uh, I, I talked a little bit more about that on Sunday, but I want to kind of move, move on. It says, uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of a burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the coat and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So Sunday, I, I, I used the analogy of Jesus literally sitting on the beast, sitting on the donkey, and us knowing that, okay, since I've been broken, I can go ahead and be honest that I'm sometimes a donkey. I'm sometimes the word that we don't want to use in church, that's sometimes part of my nature. But the beauty is that Jesus will still sit on me. He will still rest on me. He will still allow me to be a part of his journey. The beauty of the story is his journey into Jerusalem he rode on a donkey. The difference of that is most uh, great people rode on chariots. Mm -hmm. If not a chariot driven by horses, they would ride on the horse. Even in some settings, they would ride on an elephant. Uh, Some wealthy people, at least on a camel, something. Not very often do you ride on a donkey unless you didn't have a lot of means. So what Jesus was showing is that I'm willing to sit on the least of you Mm -hmm. and it doesn't disassociate my power of who I am. And that's what we have to understand when we're broken properly is for Jesus to come into my space does not diminish Jesus. It actually raises me up. I say that to say this, when we have um, struggled And we invite Jesus into our struggles and into our issues. A lot of times we are afraid of what he will find if we show him who we really are. Truth of the matter is he already knows. (laughs) He's God. He's omnipresent. He already knows. He's already seen it. So you have two choices. Hide it. Or invite him in it. And sometimes because of this false perfection we've taught in church, we don't think he'll come low enough for us. But this scripture says he'll come all the way down to the donkey and sit on the donkey and use that for triumphant entry. In other words, he's going to show you that 
in your donkey state, me and you can still make a difference. And that's what I'm learning as I'm trying to teach us and grow us up. No longer am I trying to make sure we have all the perfect Christians. I'm just trying to say, whoever we are, wherever we start at, us in Jesus, we can make a difference. Number one, he's going to make a difference in us because number one, he's going to break us. Number two, through that brokenness, he's going to break the things around us. And sometimes it's not just us that are problems. Sometimes it's the things around us. So, yeah, yeah, our environment. So sometimes it is us, but then you start realizing that there are certain things that weren't our fault. Some relationships that fizzled weren't all us. Yes, we were provoked, but some of the things we were with the wrong people. They dragged us down through things. We, we, we chose the wrong city or we were at the wrong church. We, there's a lot of things, a lot of factors. And so Jesus understands all that. And he says, instead of dealing with all of that, now, sometimes he'll deal with us on that later. But he's like, right now, just let me sit on you. Right now, just let me come into your space. Let me unite with you. And let's understand it's going to be me and you forever. Now, because we can't see Jesus, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's us and him forever. Sometimes we feel like we are alone. But if he would sit on us while we were donkeys, don't you think he will be with us through everything else? Uh, and, uh, another example I could use when a person is single and they're looking for a relationship and they finally, let's say they were, they're, they're a single Christian, but they've been caught up in casual sexual relationships. Finally, they try to say, God, I don't want to do that. I would rather be married to someone. And it works out. They, they get rid of those, those loose relationships they find someone, they focus on someone, and now they're married. But what happens is two, three years into the marriage, the marriage is hell. It's hard. It's rough. And sometimes they think, oh, my God, what, what happened? What did I do wrong? What, what's wrong? We don't understand the journey of life. And what God says, if I would sit on you while you were in casual sex doing things that were wild, why won't I sit on you in a marriage when you're trying to do it? Right. If I would keep you alive when you were the drunk driver, why would I give up on you now that you're coming to church? So people come to church and then bad stuff happened to them. They're like, oh, God doesn't love me. No, wait. If he loved you when you were a donkey, he loves you now. Just give him time to break the unbreakable around you. Give him time to work. And one of the reasons why we need to give him time to work is because the devil hasn't always built all of his traps yet. The devil adjusts. So the traps that he set for you before, when you start growing, he has to have different traps. And so you go and you do well for a while. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, all this stuff starts hitting you. These are the new traps. But give Jesus a chance to break the unbreakable. Give, give him a chance. Don't. Don't run. Let him sit on you. Let him let him rest on you. All right. So moving on. I, I love preaching this stuff, but I also love teaching it because I get a chance to kind of just dig into some of it. So let's look at verse eight. 
Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So let, let's stop and talk about this for just for a second. So the Palm Sunday majorly only deals with the people who cut the branches. Doesn't talk about the people who put their coats on the road. I don't have an answer for why, but just thinking through it, why is the emphasis on the branches and not on the cloaks? So I can't say like Paul would in his writing, sometimes he would say, this is God, this is me. So let me say, this is just Andre thinking. I, can't, I don't have any proof for it. I'm just thinking through the scripture. This is not even in my notes. This is something I'm thinking right now on the moment. But I did talk to us on Sunday and actually about two years ago, we preached a series called Mantles. And uh, cloaks in those days when they were there to cover us as coats, the jackets we wear, the coats we wear, in those days they wore mantles or cloaks. But mantles also represent anointings. So when Elijah and Elisha were working together, Elijah told Elisha, if you get my mantle, or actually Elisha said to Elijah, I want your mantle. I want your cloak. I want your anointing. And Elijah said, if you see me when I go, then, then you'll get it. Elisha did see it, did happen. He picks up the cloak and he actually does a miracle the first day with the cloak. So throughout scripture, the cloak represents the anointing. So in this story, they laid their cloaks down so Jesus could walk on them. But my question is, if that was the best sign, why do we focus only on the palms? And let me pose just this question, this thought. Is it possible that when some people are broken, they feel like their anointing is no longer needed? Okay, I was married. I was doing well. I got caught in an affair. God has restored me, but nobody's going to want to hear me again. So I lay down my anointing. I bow down to Jesus but nobody will want to use me again. But many times God doesn't take away the anointing. You have to lay it down. And so what I want to teach the broken people, even if you've done something wrong in the past, don't let go of your anointing because it's your anointing. That's going to help break the unbreakable because Jesus doesn't like to break things for us. He likes to break things through us. And in order for him to break things through us, we still have to hold on to our anointing. So I encourage you, and this is hard if you really have the right heart. If you have the wrong heart, it's easy. And what I mean by that is when you mess up to get right back up, almost as if nothing happened. Now, yes, you need to repent. But what I'm encouraging you to do, not to wallow in it, because the more you wallow in it, the more you're going to stay there and you're going to start putting your anointing down. You're going to start throwing the cloak off. Now you have to be careful from doing that and just trying to get away with sin. So I'm assuming I'm not talking to people who are trying to get away with sin. I don't believe people who are trying to get away with sin would spend time 
to come to Bible study and log in. So I'm not talking to y'all like y'all that. I'm talking to you as you are shooting for the best and you still sometimes fall short. Sometimes you fall a little short. Sometimes you fall woefully short. We can handle the little short, but it's the woefully short we struggle with because we want to do what's right. We want God to be pleased with us. But I'm trying to submit to you that he's pleased. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's pleased when you say, "Okay, yes, I'm going to have to figure out how I got off track. But right now, the most important thing is getting up, getting back in the race. Um, I'm not a big NASCAR race fan, but what I do know is that when they have a blown tire, or an issue, and they have to make a pit stop, they do not spend time diagnosing, okay, how did this happen? When did this happen? What can we do? No, because he's got to get back in the race. So we're going to jump in there, and we're going to fix it and get him back in the race, and we'll diagnose all that other stuff later. But we got we, we, we to keep moving. So to the people who, when they mess up, they think, I, I got to take two, three weeks off of church. No, that's the worst thing you can do. When you mess up, bring your raggedy tail back to the house of God. Because you got to get back in the race. And if, if you understand the goodness of God, many times without ever saying anything, I'll start preaching on the same thing you're going through because the message God gives me is prophetic. I don't have to know what you're going through. God gives me something for the people. So uh, to back up, and I'm not going to get through all of this like we did Sunday, but to back up to show you how that I, when I first started ministering and figuring out how am I going to work on sermons, whatever, the first thing I realized is I asked one question, God, what are you saying to your people? What that does, that takes me totally out of the equation. First of all, I need to know, God, what are you saying to your people? Once I figure that out, then I say, God, how do you want to say it through me? But once I know what God is saying to his people, no matter if I want to say something different, if if I'm thinking something different, it's not my job. I'm not the boss. Mm -hmm. God is the speaker. Mm -hmm. Really, all I am is just, I'm the mailman. I'm just delivering the message. Now, you know what the mailman does not do if they're a good mailman or mailwoman? They don't open up the letter <laughs> before they stick it in your mailbox because it's none of their business. So a lot of times what you're going through is none of my business. I'm just here to deliver the mail, yeah. deliver the message. Now, if you come back and tell me, hey, that hit me, that's good for me to know, to know that I'm speaking what's right. But. Sometimes people, I've heard people tell me or say they stopped coming because somebody must have been telling them everything they were doing because I always talked about it. I'm like, ain't nobody told me nothing. Number one, I don't have time. I'm too busy to play uh, mall cop with y'all. I'm just here to give you what thus saith the Lord. So many times, God, uh, I'm giving you what you need, so get back in the race. Keep going. Because while you are racing, and there have been people who have had pit stops and still won the race. So keep moving. All right, let's look at verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, 
Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's see if I can get it side by side here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So let's see what, what does it mean. Hosanna meaning in Hebrew, it means simply cry for help. All right, let's stop and let's talk about that just for a second. Why would you ever need to cry for help if you're always going to be a perfect Christian? If you're never going to have obstacles or challenges or trials, and I don't always just mean sin, but sometimes we just get attacked. Even when we're doing everything we know to do, things still go wrong. But we live in a fallen world, and we are going to come to places in our life where we need help. And what this is saying is it's okay to cry for help. Even as the pastor, it's okay for me to let you know I need to cry for help sometimes myself. Like I said, I'm really not that much different than you. I'm just the mailman. Mm -hmm. So I need to cry for help. So when they were uh, saying Hosanna, they were crying for help. But here it says in Greek, it means save, rescue, or savior. So if you put it all together between the two, it's a cry for help that only a savior can answer. It's a cry for help that your addiction cannot answer, even though you can be prone to turn to your addiction because that's what you know. But it's a cry for help that only your savior can respond to. So when we look at the next uh, thing that I have up there is Jesus' name in Hebrew, Yahashua or Yeshua, uh, which is the Hebrew terms of it. English is Joshua. In Greek, it is Iosus, but in our English, it's Jesus. Um, We say Jesus. Now, there are some deep people that will tell you that Christians don't even know what they're serving because Jesus is not his name. It's not his name, but it's the English transliteration of his name. And people were like, well, it's not. It's the English transliteration of the Greek. Yes, but the Greek is the transliteration of the Hebrew. So when you have people who get real, real technical here, I'm trying to let you know Jesus is not his name. But if you're black in America, Mitchell ain't your name either. You don't know who you come from. So we don't get caught up in the specifics. The point is, what does the name mean? The name means the Lord saves. So every time we're here and we are saying the name Jesus, even when we are not crying for help, we are acknowledging that the Lord saves. So that would not be his name If he had people that didn't need saving, we need saving. We need saving a process consistently. You can be saved and still need saving. You ever notice something that we do whenever we uh, make the appeal for what we call the sinner's prayer and we pray it? And most Sundays, most everybody says, says and repeats the prayer, even though technically they're already saved. But if you like me, shoot, it, it ain't going to hurt to say it again. 
it's not going to hurt to keep inviting me into my life. Keep saying it. So, so I appreciate it because sometimes I don't feel all that saved. Sometimes I feel more like the donkey. So if I get a chance to consistently invite him into my life and say, Lord, save me, help me, rescue me, Hosanna to the highest heavens. Thank you for a savior. The gospel is the good news. It's the good news that's almost too good to be true. It's the fact that no matter what you have going on, God has chosen you. And as long as you're willing to consistently let him save you, he will never cast you out. Now, some people teach it from the standpoint, they call it once saved, always saved. That's not totally correct, but it's, it's more correct than what many people think. God will never keep you saved if you don't want to. If you reject him, he will allow you to reject him. But as long as you are saying, I want to be saved by you, really, the moment you say yes to him, it's, it's forever. It's eternal. That's why it's called eternal life. But even though it's eternal life, it don't hurt me to say, God, save me again. Save me some more. Take me up a notch. It doesn't hurt to even pray ahead of trouble before trouble comes to say, God, protect me if I get in this situation. Protect me. Me, me as, a, as a married uh, man and a married pastor, not, I, I, I'm not the most handsome man in the world, but I'm not the ugliest either. So if I'm away from my wife and I'm in a hotel room, before I get in that situation, I pray ahead of time. God, if I'm ever in that situation, give me wisdom. Give me, instead of thinking, oh, I can handle, no, I'm not trying to handle nothing. God, help me. Help me. I have never been hooked on crack, but I'm the type of person that feels like if I tried it once, I might be hooked forever. So even though I haven't done it and I don't have a desire for it now, God, help me to always be that way. Well, you're a great father. Great. Well, help me to continue to be a great father because I'm a great father with toddlers and all that. But now I'm moving into teens. I ain't never been a father of teens. So God, help me so I don't punch these kids in the eye. Help me, father. So at every stage of life, we need to be able to say, Hosanna, help me. And the beauty of it is they were crying out for someone who was already there. So it's not like you're crying out to someone who lives in outer space. He was already entering into the city. Now, what they didn't understand is the help he was going to give them was to die for them. They thought he was going to overthrow Roman government, put Jerusalem on top, and they were thinking something totally different. Since we've been able to read the story, we understand what he was doing. And even though he's not physically in our presence like he was with them, he's not far from us. He's right in us. The scripture says the word is nigh It's even in our mouth. So when we cry, help me, Jesus, the help comes. Now, help doesn't always come immediately. Sunday, God really told me to talk about some immediate things happening. But in, in majority of cases, help doesn't always come immediately, but it immediately begins to form. Think about this, uh, uh, another point that I think will, will help us. The scripture says no weapon formed against us 
shall prosper. All right. The Satan is not a creator. He is only a perverter. In other words, he can't come up with anything. He can only twist things. So the reason why he forms weapons is because he realizes God forms blessings. So because it's formed doesn't mean it doesn't show up all the times automatically. It's a process. Your blessing many times is growing and it's headed in your direction. And Satan sees what's headed in your direction and he tries to form a weapon to hit you before the blessing comes. So God doesn't say, I'm going to get rid of the weapon. He just tells you the weapon won't prosper. It won't work. So in other words, hold on through the attack because the blessing is on the way. And the longer the blessing takes to come, it means the bigger it is when it gets there. So some of y'all are in line for some major, major blessings. And the only way I know it is because you've had major, major attacks. I said this before, and this, this will help us. I, I, this is one of my favorite things to say. I've never in my life seen anybody use a bazooka to kill an ant. The size of the attack shows you how much respect your enemy has for you. I can crush an ant with my fingers. I cannot crush a tank with my fingers. I need heavy artillery to crush a tank. So if you're under heavy attack, it means the enemy knows you are somebody special and the enemy can see your blessing and he knows what's coming your way and he's trying to hurt you before it comes. But what he doesn't know is God actually wants you broken. So when he tries to break you, he's actually falling into God's hands. Because with the breaking, God's going to turn and break the unbreakable through you. So you're going to be blessed. It's going to work in your favor. It's going to turn around. Now, I can't promise you when. It may not be to your dying years. I I can't tell you when. But what I do know is you, as you go along the journey, you're going to start growing and it's going to start getting better. And you're going to start realizing, Satan, you're just not that big of a deal. You're really not that good. One of my favorite, um, favorite athletes of all times is Michael Jordan. And he's just great. And I'm actually studying a book on him now. And it's not that I just like him. I like to study greatness. I'm intrigued by not just a person being great, but what actually makes them great. So I don't have time to get into that. But maybe when I teach a series on greatness, I'll actually dig into it because I've I've studied the greats in several different areas just to figure out what what makes them tick. So anyway, there was a young man who was, I believe, Dominique Wilkins. He was awesome, too. Dominique Wilkins' brother named Gerald Wilkins. Gerald was not as offensively gifted as Dominique, but he was very defensively gifted. And so at one point, he played for the Knicks. At one point, they termed him the Jordan Stopper. In other words, when they saw what he could do in practice and do against other people, they said, this is the guy we are going to put on Jordan because 
he's so defensively gifted, we finally can slow down Michael. Mm -hmm. Michael comes to New York and puts on a show. At one point, he looks over to the coaches of Gerald Wilkins and says, he can't guard me. He, he, he can't do nothing with me. And they were demoralized because they thought the weapon they had formed would prosper. But Jordan rose to another level. And all we're doing, we're telling the devil, you can't guard me. Yeah, I've been addicted, and yeah, I've been pushed over, and yes, my relationship hasn't always worked, and yes, but I'm still here. I'm still standing. I still got a praise in me. I still can cry Hosanna, and God is right there to save and rescue me. So guess what, devil? You have lost. You have lost. So uh, we we did a whole bunch of confessions uh, to help. So how about we just uh, do a few of them. Uh, one was, uh, let me put it up. This palm represents my God breaking through and rescuing me when I need it most and cry out to him. I add and cry out to him. My God always saves and delivers me. We uh, here in the building and online, we don't have to uh, actually uh, repeat like we did on Sunday, but just looking at that and saying what the palm represented to us is just God breaking through and rescuing us when we need it most. Mm -hmm. I put that in there for a reason, because sometimes we don't need rescue. We just need to do what we've already learned. So I'll give you this example that'll help you. Sometimes a rescue will impede your progress. So God only rescues you when you need it most. Prime example, when I was learning how to ride the bike, the person who was helping me ride the bike would invariably let go. And then I'd look back and see that they didn't have it. And I was like, oh, help me, help me. And they wouldn't run to help me. And this is what they would say, because you were riding by yourself. You were doing it until you got scared. So I'm not going to run and rescue you. I'm not going to hold the bike the whole time because you will never learn how to ride the bike as long as I'm holding it. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying, God, rescue us in the stuff we cannot do on our own. But God is not going to do stuff we can do on our own. God is not going to make us come to church. God is not going to make us listen to the word. Now, what I do is make sure you have every access to watch the thing over. But you know, a lot of people, they hear the message one time, that's it. Another people, they'll come at least get the Bible study and we'll go back over it. Other people, that, and then they wonder why they struggle. Well, God's not rescuing me. Well, now this is not in the Bible, but I think Benjamin Franklin said, he said, God helps those who help themselves. That's not entirely true, but there's some truth in it. God's not going to do for you what you can do yourself. So we cry out for help where God, where we just can't help ourselves. But the other stuff, we see if we can do it on our own. All right, let's uh, skip over to a few of the other confessions. Uh, confession two. This poem represents my triumphant Savior entering into my life and triumphantly leading me into godly prosperity. I didn't spend a lot of time talking about godly prosperity, but I can use the verse that we just talked about to help explain it. 
Most people think of prosperity that it means money. Godly prosperity includes money, but it does not mean money alone. The, the best way that I can explain that to you is if I use the verse I just quoted to you and I substitute the word prosper for money, it will not make any sense. No weapon formed against you shall money. Doesn't make any sense. Now, if I said no weapon formed against you shall, shall succeed, that makes sense. Godly prosperity is success in your life. Now, for some people, they need financial success. Some people don't need financial success. So money is a piece. So we used this picture. Actually, this picture. Now, when you look at that picture where we get the palms, what if we looked at each one of the leaves at, or each one of the branches as a different thing? Mm -hmm. So some of the branches are for finances. Some of the branches are for healing. Some of the branches are for mental, emotional status. Some of the branches are for relationships. So godly prosperity is having what you need when you need it. Godly prosperity is not singularly focused on just everybody being rich. That is not realistic. That everybody, everybody's not going to be a billionaire. That's just not realistic. Everybody may not be a millionaire. Not realistic. But what is realistic in our day and age, everybody can be a thousandaire, just about. But, but sometimes we want to grow beyond that. So what we don't want you to think that money is not included in success of God. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a one-bedroom shotgun house and you have a desire to grow and be in a bigger house, that is nothing wicked about that. Right. Nothing with it, wicked about expansion and success as long as the focus is godliness. In other words, we're saying, God, if you want me to grow, I want to grow. I don't want to grow beyond you and forget about you. But with you, I'm willing to take everything. In other words, I want everything these branches can offer me. I want them all. So we used that. It represents God's triumphantly leading us into godly prosperity. Uh, another picture that would have been good for is when you look at the actual fruit that come off of it. The uh, it says the thousands of clusters. So, so. All the clusters of things that we need, we're saying, God, we're expecting you to provide, believing for you to provide. And what we're not going to do is have an attitude with you if you don't provide as fast as we want. We're saying we are on the journey with you. We appreciate you for what you're doing in our, in our lives. So if I'm at a job that pays $10 an hour, I'm going to be content. And happy with that while I look for something better. Now, if I go from 10 to 18, I'm going to thank God for it. And how I show my thanks is my generosity will rise with my growth. When people grow and their generosity goes down, that's not godly prosperity because they're forgetting who gave it to them. But also the the uh, and we started a little late, so I'll just I'll just go just a little bit over. But those fruits, when I study it, it talks about the health benefit of the actual date fruit. So let's just put that up to see it. The health benefits of dates include improved bone health, 
help regulate uh, cholesterol, improve heart health, regulates blood pressure, promote brain health, benefits skin, prevent inflammation, good for constipation, and treat diarrhea. That is pretty much a full gambit of health for us. I mean, that covers so much. So when I was looking at that, I was thinking not only of our physical health, but true godly prosperity, it moves us in health in every area of our lives. So yes, our physical health is a part of that. And sometimes we have hindered ourselves in the things that we've eaten or the things that we've done. But as we begin to look forward, we say, God, I want to partner with you with my physical health. I'm going to do what I can do. But there's so much stuff I can't do. You know, I was, I was looking uh, just before I came here on um, things that they say one of the best ways to lose weight is number one, cut out French fries. Number two, cut out Coke. Number three, cut out white bread. I was like, shoot, that's all stuff I didn't eat this week. <laughs> I mean, it's just like that's how we were raised. And it's hard to break some of those habits. So sometimes what God does, he steps in and does for us what we can't do. Like, if you're on the go and you have to eat fast food, you're going to get some white bread. You're going to get, it's like our society is hard for us to be healthy. And then when you do try to be healthy, the healthy stuff is the most expensive stuff. It's like, you know, so what we have to do is we don't depend on our human effort. We depend on God for everything. Now, I'm not just going to go and just go crazy and and eat 10 pounds of bacon every day. No, I'm going to try to to limit myself, but by the same token, God, I'm going to give you something to work with, but I'm, I can't get caught up in all these diet fads and everything. God, I'm trusting you to do what I need. Same thing with our mental health. I'm trusting you. So the confession we use for that is, uh, number three, just like the dates of the palm, this palm symbolizes the fruit of my health increasing all health. The key is all of our health, physically, emotionally, financially, and spiritually. A few more points. In ancient Rome, the palm fronds were used in triumphal procession to symbolize victory. And here's some synonyms for victory, success, triumph, win, positive result, favorable result, landslide achievement. I really like that, landslide and achievement. Conquering, beating, overpowering, crushing, mastery, superiority, supremacy, preeminence, the upper hand. All things that I believe that we are going to head and see some of these things in our life. And then the fourth and the final confession we'll, we'll use before we uh, stop is those things that have previously been holding me back are breaking today. Meaning the moment I preach that, I believe God began to work into our spiritually and break. And, you know, many people were waving the palms. I believe it was just a, a it was just a special moment for a Sunday. The seemingly unbreakable is breaking. Breakthrough belongs to me victory is on the way. What kind of victory? God is smashing, shattering, bursting, fragmenting, crushing, snapping, snapping, rupturing, separating, severing, breaking into bits and pieces, all the enemy's traps against us. And because of that, we ought to just say, amen. All right. Well, that's that's enough of that. I could go on and on and on. I'm just excited about what God is doing. Doesn't mean we're not going to have some problems, but guess what? We're learning that our problems are only going to push us to our destiny. All right, with we we thank you and appreciate you. We're going to uh go ahead and pray.
once again, breaking the unbreakable. All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. What we're starting to understand is all we need to bring to you is a heart that wants to follow you. And with that, you will break us in the right way. And then through us, you will break the negative things around us to bring the success that we need, not for us, but the success that we need to help others and grow the kingdom so that at some point we all have access to eternal life and heaven. And with that, we will always give you praise, thanksgiving, and honor. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you all. Love to you. Have a great week. Wonderful week. Oh, actually, one one other thing I can just show you. I'm just going to put it up there for you to see. In the summer, my new book is coming out. Victorious Worship is the name of it. It'll be coming out sometime this summer. So stay tuned for more information on that. God bless you all. I love you. Goodbye.